Well, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, it's a time when we remember how Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, on that last week leading up to his crucifixion and then uh, rising from the dead. And this was a strategic and historic time in Israel's history because it fulfilled a number of their prophecies. Uh, like, for example, in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Uh, let's just read that. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So if you have your Bible uh, nearby or maybe your phone, uh, let's read now from Luke chapter 19 to see how that prophecy was fulfilled. Um, if you need to go and fetch your Bible, uh, you can just just hit the pause button right now and we'll wait for you. Okay, so um, let's read now from Luke 19 and verse 35. We're going to start. This is after Jesus had sent two of his disciples to go and fetch a colt. Okay, reading from my new Bible here, courtesy of uh, christianbooks.com. Verse 35, Luke 19. It says, And they brought it to Jesus, the colt, brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, that is near to the city of Jerusalem, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So, this uh, great crowd of people that were following Jesus into Jerusalem were giving him the royal welcome. Uh, they spread their cloaks on the road. Uh, other gospel writers said they, they were waving uh, palm branches, going, yay! And um, essentially that's what you would do for a king. But you see, having witnessed all the mighty works that Jesus had done in healing uh, the sick, giving sight to the blind, even raising the dead, they believed he must be the Messiah. He, was, he must be this long-awaited king of Israel. They believed he was the one who was going to save them and deliver them from their enemies, the Romans. So they were all enthusiastically shouting, Hosanna, you know, salvation has come. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This was a historic occasion. This was good news worth shouting about, the fulfillment of all God's promises. But as we saw, not everyone agreed. There were some Pharisees in the crowd who were offended. They tried to stop all this enthusiasm, this is celebrating. You know, the teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. 
You see, the Pharisees were so focused on getting their fellow Jews to obey God's law, to observe all their traditions and so on, that they failed to recognize God when he came among them in the flesh. They were so kind of focused on dissecting the scriptures that they failed to discern the very one who the scriptures were pointing to. Um, here was Jesus, the promised Messiah, fulfilling scriptures right in front of their eyes, and they missed it. It's a bit like uh, that famous photograph that got that went viral a few years ago. Some of you will remember this. Um, it was uh, taken by a photographer called Eric Smith at Redondo Beach, uh, California. Uh, here, here it is. And um, the headline, I think it was in the LA Times, said, Viral photo shows man so distracted by cell phone that he misses massive whale that was just feet away. You see, the Pharisees missed the momentous thing that God was doing right in their midst. I pray that we don't. Um, you know, we are living in unprecedented days. I know, I know that word is overused uh, right now, but it's true. Uh, we are. And of course, I know it doesn't even come close to the Son of God coming into the world. I know that. But nevertheless, what is happening globally is unprecedented in our lifetime. And one of the things, you know, that would be tragic would be if we were so, you know, focused on our phones, you know, either kind of uh, just depressing ourselves uh, by reading the ever-changing news or uh, trying to distract ourselves with endless entertainment uh, that somehow we miss what God might be doing in these days. Um, when you look back over history, you know, with the rise and, and fall of nations and all the amazing accomplishments uh, that mankind has made, as well as all the dark times, you know, the plagues and the wars and, and so on, you can see that through it all, if you, if you track through history, you can see that there have been pivotal moments, uh, windows of time where God has chosen to move. Uh, I mean, just think, for example, of the very specific time that Jesus chose to come into the world and, and commissioned his church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It was during the days of the Roman Empire. And the Romans had conquered much of the known world through their military might. Uh, their emperors were known to be ruthless and sometimes even cruel in their domination. And yet, in spite of that oppression, there couldn't have been a more opportune time for the advancement of the gospel and Christianity. Uh, because, you know, Roman rule brought a peace to the world, an imposed peace, admittedly, but nevertheless, it was a peace that the world hadn't known for some time. And, you know, their amazing engineering skills that enabled them to conquer the world um, also meant they built roads, thousands of miles of paved roads uh, to places that had been unreached before. And so uh, it enabled the gospel then to go far and wide. And it's been the same throughout history, you know, wherever the gospel has made great advancement. It, it's often been during significant 
or even troubled times. Uh, I've mentioned before uh, what happened at the when the stock market crashed in 1857, and, and it led thousands of desperate people to pray. Prayer meetings sprang up all across the United States, from city to city to city, all across. And within two years, it was estimated a million people were added to the church um, on both sides of the Atlantic. More recently, in the 1960s, uh, probably the most turbulent and yet pivotal decades in modern history. In fact, Time magazine said this. It declared 1968, it says, was the knife blade that severed past from the future. Uh, it was the era, of course, of, of Vietnam and of uh, student riots. Um, it gave birth to several movements, civil rights, gay, women's lib, um, black power, anti-war and so on. Uh, and of course, there was the hippie subculture with its drugs and sexual liberation. And yet it left people feeling very disillusioned, hopeless, lost. Um, and then right in the midst of that, something very unexpected happened. Right in the epicenter of California's hippie subculture, the Holy Spirit began to draw thousands of these bummed out, disillusioned young people to a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ. Um, you know, right in the midst of what was probably one of the most discouraging times in this nation's history, God intervened in a supernatural way. And there was a grassroots spiritual movement that burst on the scene and revolutionized millions of lives. It was called the Jesus People Movement. New converts began to hit the streets uh, to enthusiastically tell others that you too can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, often pointing their finger heavenward, saying, one way, one way, man, one way. Thousands were baptized in the ocean. And it spread like wildfire across the country from city to city. Uh, and, and remember, that was before the advent of the Internet, of the cell phone, uh, social media and so on. All I'm saying is that God is sovereign over history. And even in difficult times like today, he is at work. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that he causes pandemics. Uh, just that he is sovereignly at work in the chaos of our fallen world, redeeming all things and working out his purposes for good in ways that we can't even imagine. Steve Bowden uh, commented a few days ago about a video that he saw on YouTube about uh, hundreds of men in a public square in Peru who were on their faces praying, crying out to God to move during this crisis. Now here's just a video clip. En estos momentos nos encontramos en la Plaza San Martín, juntos de diferentes denominaciones, orando por nuestro Perú. And Steve commented, he said, I was just struck by the global impact. Um, and so when I think of that, I think how much more then can we expect to see the Spirit of God respond to this on a global scale? But, you know, we all have a part to play in that. 
It's why we can't afford to miss what God might be doing in these days. Because all around us there are people who are full of fear, who are feeling hopeless and lost. I've had people say that to me, uh, and I'm sure maybe you have as well. Hearts are becoming open to God in a way that they just weren't before. Um, and God has called us, you and me, to be messengers of hope. You know, we have good news that we, we just cannot keep quiet about. And that's the other thing that I, I see in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture um, in, in Luke 19, that um, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, some Pharisees were telling him to tell his disciples to be quiet. And Jesus said, no, he said, if these are silent, the very stones would cry out. And, and that was a proverbial kind of saying. It, it meant that if his father was kept quiet about him, then the stones would cry out in protest. Or maybe even that the stones would praise him uh, instead. Uh, either way, it amounts to the same thing, that Jesus was strongly endorsing his disciples who were publicly and loudly proclaiming him to be king. And the interesting thing about that is that unlike the Pharisees, his disciples really did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It's just that they misunderstood what he had come to do because they were looking for a political leader to come and to deliver them from their enemies and to establish a, a kind of political state of Israel. A bit like maybe some Christians today who are looking for a political solution to the world's problems. And yet God's plan is so much greater than that. Um, he hadn't come to deliver the Jewish people from their Roman enemies. He'd come to deliver all of mankind from the greatest enemy of all, sin and death. He hadn't come to liberate this, this tiny plot of land somewhere in the Middle East. He'd come to liberate the whole of creation from its bondage to decay and to one day make all things new in the new heavens and new earth where one day the Bible says there's going to be no more sickness, uh, no more COVID-19 or any other pandemic, you know, uh, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. This was the salvation that Jesus had come to bring. And so when they were all shouting, Hosanna, right, salvation has come, they didn't know the half of it. And Jesus was going to do it in a way that, that no one could have imagined, you know, by laying down his life for us on the cross, taking upon himself all of the sin, all of the, the sorrow of the world, and then overcoming it all by conquering death. And so making a way for whoever believes in him to be able to receive a new life, eternal life in him. Uh, have you received that today? Have you put your trust in Jesus, uh, in his death and resurrection for you? You know, his disciples could never have understood the scale of what Jesus had come to do. And they misunderstood. But they were absolutely right to welcome him as king. Because this was not a, a case of mistaken identity. Jesus was the promised Messiah. And that's why he did nothing to dampen their enthusiasm. He refused to hinder them. Right? If they kept silent, he said the very stones 
would cry out. So what about us? What about us? You see, these disciples were rejoicing and proclaiming Jesus as king, even with their very limited understanding. And yet, you know, we have it all written down for us, don't we? Uh, We know uh, what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. We know how it all ends. Uh, the point is, you see, how much more then should we be rejoicing and proclaiming this good news? Um, and isn't that what we were just singing a little earlier on? To share the reason for our hope, to serve with love and grace, so that all who see him shine through us might bring the Father praise. Oh, sing my soul and tell of all that he has done till the earth and the heavens are filled with his glory. You know, we sing it. Are we doing it? I want to encourage you, uh, as I encourage myself, to be more alert to the opportunities, really, to speak of these mighty works of God and to be able to share with people the reason for our hope, to point people to Jesus, because hearts are becoming open in these days and people need hope. Um, we may feel like we're constrained right now. You know, we're confined to our homes and we've got our own problems. You know, how can we be proclaiming the good news? Well, it didn't stop the Apostle Paul. Um, he was under house arrest in Rome. He was facing possible execution. He couldn't leave his home either. In fact, um, uh, this is what it says, because that's where we find him at the end of the book of Acts. And it says this. Let's just uh, uh, read this together uh, from Acts uh, 28. Acts 28 and uh, reading from uh, verse 30. It says he lived there for two whole years, right? Two whole years in his home um, at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Without hindrance. Right, here he was, he had a a soldier guarding him the whole time, 24-7, without hindrance. What's more, uh, Paul wrote to the Philippian church while he was in prison, and he said this, Check this out from uh, the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians uh, in chapter one. Uh, He says this, writing from prison. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You know, Paul He saw his situation not as a limitation, but as an opportunity. He must have talked to every guard who had been sent to watch him about Jesus. Uh, The whole imperial guard got to hear the gospel. Here was Paul under arrest, confined to his house. Right, He had to stay home for two years, but unhindered. Unhindered, it says. Amazing, isn't it? You see, if like Paul, we really believe in the hope that we have, that in Jesus we really do have good news, you know, news that is of eternal significance, 
then we will find ways of sharing that good news. Let's not see our situation as a limitation, but as an opportunity. And that's why it's been so encouraging to hear how uh, many of you have been taking hold of that opportunity. Now, this is a time where many uh, families are drawing closer together than maybe they would have otherwise done. Uh, our church community is probably uh, communicating and caring and encouraging one another more than ever before. Uh, in fact, we heard from one of our newer and older couples in the church who said this. They said, we've never been treated so lovingly in any other church that we've been in. And that's not just in our church. That is spilling out. Uh, the gospel is going out from us far and wide. Ever since we stopped meeting in our building, uh, we've been posting these daily devotionals and some of you have been sharing them with friends and relatives and neighbours. Uh, and I've got to hear some of the responses of how some people have been touched by that and how for some of them it seems it's like almost like a lifeline uh, that has brought them hope. In fact, I received an email from a lady in upstate New York last week. Um, this is what she said. Uh, she wrote this. She said, I feel that God has touched me in a very real and wonderful way. She said, my husband and I have not been going to church for a number of years, and I felt a void that only God can feel. Something was missing. But listening to your devotions has moved me in a very powerful way. Um, you know, not being able to meet in our church building could be seen as a limitation, but it could also prove to be our greatest opportunity. Next week is Easter. Uh, it's the biggest Sunday on the church calendar, any church calendar. Easter is the biggest Sunday when churches will typically get more visitors than at any other time of the year. And for years, the church in the West has measured its success by the number of people it gathers on a Sunday, and especially on Easter Sunday, because we're just obsessed with numbers, you know. And so having our church buildings closed for Easter for the first time in our lifetime, you know, that could be seen as a massive blow. But it's actually an opportunity to see things differently. Because, you see, Jesus's barometer for success is very different to ours. He's not asking us, how many people did you get? But rather he's asking, did you love one another? Are you loving your neighbor? He said, let your light shine before men that they may come to praise my Father in heaven. And that's why I'm so encouraged by our church and how we're responding to the current situation. You know, not seeing it as a limitation, but making the most of the opportunity. So let's continue to find ways of reaching out to others and being a blessing. Let's be ready to share uh, with others the hope that we have right this is not a time to go underground and be silent this is a time to proclaim jesus with all boldness and without hindrance amen right let's pray that god would show us and 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 show us the opportunities that we have that he would help us in that but can we also pray that um when we do eventually get back to all meeting together that it won't be before God does all that he needs to do in our hearts and in the hearts of the people 
in our nation. Uh, that's a hard prayer, I know. That That's a, not my will, but your will be done, God, kind of prayer, isn't it? But I just feel it's really important that we don't miss what God is wanting to do in these days. Because, you know, when we open our doors again, I, I really believe that we're going to see a flood of people coming in. It might start as a trickle, but I really believe that God is wanting to bring in a flood and all kinds of people. People, you know, from different kinds of backgrounds, different kinds of lifestyles, you know, different needs and challenges. God is wanting to bring in the lost, uh, the spiritually thirsty, um, the, the poor and the disadvantaged, the orphan and the widow, the, the refugee and the prodigals. And, and many of them may never uh, have felt comfortable setting foot in a church before. And so our hearts, my heart, your heart, needs to be made ready to receive those people, to welcome them with open arms. You know, if you read on here in, uh, in Luke 19, you see that uh, Jesus went to the temple and um, he began driving out all those, it says, who were buying and selling in the temple. And, and he was angry because that area of the temple was supposed to be the place where all the non-Jewish people could come and pray and encounter God. They could meet with God there. And they were being hindered. And so, um, you know, Jesus was angry. He, he was driving out um, all these buyers and sellers. And I just pray that um, if there is anything in us, you know, whether that's attitudes or, or prejudice, uh, pride, preferences that we may have, um, you know, that, that would be a hindrance to those people coming and encountering God, that, that God would deal with our hearts in that, that God would deal with our hearts in these days. Can you, can you agree with me on that? Yeah, hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, let's make that our prayer. Lord, search my heart. I want to be ready for all that you are doing and all that you're going to do in these days. Let me finish you with a, here with a story. Um, in the 1960s, Chuck Smith was a pastor of a little church called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. And when God began moving in the hearts of many of these young, bummed-out hippies, they started coming into his church. But they came straight from the beach without shoes and without shirts. They didn't know any better. And the church had just installed a new carpet, brand new carpet, at great expense. And on the beach, you see, there were oil deposits that would stick to the bottom of people's feet. And so these new God seekers, they were coming barefooted into the building and getting oil on the brand new carpet. Well, one day, Chuck Smith uh, arrived at his building and saw someone had put a sign on the door. Uh, probably one of his deacons put it there, and it simply said, Shirt and shoes, please. So Chuck took it down, and he, he held a meeting with his leaders, and they agreed together that day that they would rip up that carpet before they would ever hinder one of those young beach kids coming to worship God. And do you know what happened to that little church? Well, God poured out his spirit on them. It became one of the epicenters uh, for that revival. And that photo of the baptisms, 
right? That was Chuck Smith's church. And I believe we're going to see scenes like that in our own day. And may it be in our church. All right? So no limitations, no hindrances. Amen.